What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. Okay, so the main takeaway for this episode, oh boy, oh boy, is it ever easy to go down the rabbit hole on life cycle? In our first episode, we touched on some of the the wide ranging topics that can come with revamping or deploying a life cycle. I'm here to caution you to be uh, to not overthink your life cycle, to be simplistic, and to you know think of it as an MVP, right? So get yourself with a neatly scoped project and deliver it on time, even if you have to cut things from it. And remember that you can always build upon this to create a more complex model. So yeah, this episode we're going to dive into how not to overthink life cycle. All right, so I want to I want to start with the the rabbit hole piece that that you kind of uh, started with. So like I I've seen these types of projects, like be it like a lead scoring project or a full life cycle project, but I've seen these these types of projects go down into like these dark rabbit holes and and never really emerge. And you know maybe you're building out this like five step process, but somewhere in the depths of like defining the pick list values and like step one point fifteen, you know there's this new debate that's erupted internally between sales and product and like next thing you know like you've got this three-week delay on the process and it's oh, yeah. like the, the, the type of rabbit hole we're talking about here right so yeah what what i'm kind of like teasing out is uh why don't you just like preface the, the value of like project management you know, for these types of projects like multiple <laughs> stages or whatever and even just talk about like why a lot of marketers don't really work on on these skills enough and why it's like super valuable in cases like these yeah, totally. Like, and I'll start with a failure from my own from my own career. Uh, I worked on it like there's no other way to describe it, but a sprawling customer comms project. It was going to change the universe. It it was going to rebalance and set everything right. It did not. It it spanned multiple years. It spanned people's mat leaves. Like, it was just a total total mess from start to finish. And in that, I learned a ton. Right, like. And a huge, here's, here's a huge piece of this. Project management is obviously key, but one of the things that all good project managers do is they identify the stakeholders and the folks involved. And at some point in this, you have to identify somebody who's an expert. And that expert has to be willing and able to kind of cut off some, some of these conversations. You alluded to like the discussions around lifecycle stage names, like, oh man, can you ever get into the, into the weeds on this stuff? Like, I want a marketing engaged lead. I want a marketing qualified lead. I want a marketing high qualified lead. I want a market marketing, you know, pink unicorn lead. And you're like, what is the fucking point of all of this? Like at the end of the day, like, I just want to know, am I generating value for this company? So you need to identify an expert and you do need to identify somebody who's a decision maker who cuts off the debate, who recognizes that at a certain point, okay, everybody got their piece said and they were heard and listened to. But just because, you know, you, one person put it in my past career, you know, I, I want to provide feedback. I don't care if you act on that feedback, but I want to know that you listen to my feedback. And that's so valuable in these types of projects. So I would say you have an opportunity to be the expert here. And I think, you know, it might be uncomfortable, but cutting off these debates early and recognizing when you're going down a rabbit hole, obviously this is something that is a skill that's developed over time, but starting with that base of I'm confident in my own expertise, even if you're not, um, everybody else is confident in your expertise. Trust me. I like that. That's really cool. So like, uh, I, I used to like me myself, I used to think that like project management was 
this like not super valuable skill that like uh, anybody could become a pro in project management they just had to like you know just roll up their sleeves and kind of learn the intricacies of it or, or whatever i didn't really see the value in it until like i discovered how bad i was at it like the big <laughs> first project that i did uh like many years ago uh just kind of like going getting it off the ground and like realizing how many different people in different departments i had to reach out to and like folks don't answer emails right away and like how do you set up deadlines and milestones like there's a lot to managing these like big complex projects and like the, the value of it is like um, like escaping these, these kind of rabbit holes. Right. So like, as, as you've done some of these, these bigger, um, these bigger endeavors, um, I, I'm curious, like what, what your hot tips are on, or just give, give me like a mini bootcamp on, on managing these big operations projects. Yeah. I mean, I've got to the, maybe my opinion was sort of similar to yours. I was like, ah, we can just improvise project management. Like it just gets done magically through my own force of willpower. And then I actually worked with like a professional, a team of professional project managers in one of my past, uh, my past lives. And I was like, these people are worth their weight in gold. Like they made <laughs> from an implementation perspective. I was like, uh, as a technical implementer, having a team of project managers or a single project manager quarterbacking this thing, you're just like, yeah, it's like discovering air for the first time. You're like, oh yeah, I can breathe. Like it's awesome. Um, how, how are you doing project management? Oh, we use Asana. Like, doesn't yeah. doesn't Asana or Trello like do project management for you? Like, isn't it just done there? Oh, absolutely, totally does. Yeah, easy, easy. The truth is, is that like you said, there's a lot of communications that go into into a good project uh, management framework. You know, and again, I'm not a professional project manager. We probably have somebody on the show who is, who could help us with some more pragmatic ticks. But what I would say is I've been fairly effective in, in expanding my own practice and leading on the project management side. So what I've done, particularly uh, on the operations front, is having a five-stage model. Um, I call them discovery, design, build, deploy, and review stages. Each stage has clear deliverables. Like I mark out milestones on them. I want to know when I close off a stage. So important for project management. Like you, you have to like complete to-dos to finish your project. Otherwise, you just end up in this sprawling position. This is where project managers are, are so valuable, right? They hunt people down and say, you owe us this. Give us this. And sometimes it's the simplest deliverable on the planet that holds you up from closing out a stage. Uh, you got to hunt those people down and make sure that they're delivering on what they've said. And if that's you, well, shame on you. Um, the other piece is, is like hitting timelines. Like I'm hardcore about hitting timelines uh, for the teams that I manage. I've always said like, I don't, you know, when we agree to a timeline, we agree to it. We're going to hit that. I'd rather us reduce scope than expand uh, timeline. Like you run into this scope creep all the time. We're like, yeah, but I could do it a little bit better if you gave me another week. It's like, no, I'm not giving you another week. Put it in V1.1. And I think that's the other last tip I'd say is identify your MVP stick to it as much as you can if you got to rescope rescope but hit your timeline and and create a 1.1 so never just walk away from these projects either like continuously improve and develop on them very cool i think that's like a nice way of you know saving yourselves from from these rabbit hole discussions it's like you know like we we're moving on from this decision tomorrow and like we need to come up with a decision or a definition of these stages mm -hmm. and we're not going to have a three-week debate on this and we're not going to wait until the vp is back from vacation and we're not going to set up a meeting with him and someone else from the product team like we're 
we're just going to have to get this done because uh, we need to move to the next stage. Yeah, I'm reading The Messy Middle right now, and he talks uh, in the book a little bit about maximizers and satisficers. So maximizers are, are a little bit of the perfectionists. They want to make sure that whatever decision they make is the best possible decision of all possible decisions. And satisficers are like, hey, if it's a requirements, let's let's go with it. I'm 100% a satisfier, uh, sir, <laughs> satisficer. Sure. Yeah, you've worked with me. You know, I'm like, let's go. Come on, let's and let's let's you know uh, change the tires in motion, kind of thing. So just ship it, ship it, get out the door. Yeah. Uh, okay, so one one thought that I had when when you were walking through this is, you know, I've I've seen like these these rabbit holes like way way too many and way too often, if you will. And and one of the things that I I've seen like sales, not just sales, but just like ops folks in general, kind of obsess about too much or or spend too much time on is we touch on this in like the the first part of the episode, but like these micro stages in between the stages that you walk through, right? So, you know, your main stages are maybe uh, at the top of the funnel, getting leads to the MQL stage. But, you know, along those two main stages, there could be a bunch of like micro stages, like uh, marketing lead confirmed, marketing lead engaged, you know, depending on how your marketing team is reporting on on that database. Yeah. So I guess like something that like we, we focus on in, in this project and scoping it out is like how many micro stages is enough and like how many are maybe too many in in a specific type of company at the end of the day like the focus with these micro stages or just the main stages that you have are to give you the ability to see the conversion rates and like not necessarily muddy the table too much when you're adding all these micro stages like if you're yeah. looking at your funnel um, and you you've got all your database stages in there and you've got the numbers and you got the conversion rate from one one stage to the other if you're adding like micro stages on that slide like you're you're getting to a spot where you have like 12 to 13 different conversion rates across mm -hmm. the funnel so it's like really muddying the table and you're not really sure which spot to kind of to focus in on so like how how many micro stages are are too many <laughs> yeah i've seen i've seen some sprawling messes like with 20 20 plus micro stages and you're like <laughs> you gotta you gotta just ask yourself like what's the freaking point right um I think each conversion rate that you're measuring in your in your life cycle, like just as a true north, right? Uh, each conversion point from stage to stage should have some kind of set of actions that you can control. So you said marketing confirmed. I like that uh, marketing confirmed to marketing engaged to marketing qualified lead. Three stages. I wouldn't say that's too much for my opinion. I've seen that implemented. Marketing confirmed. Well, you're you confirmed your GDPR approved, right? I can communicate with you. Totally makes sense. Uh, marketing engaged. Okay, your lead score has crossed a certain threshold, but you're not totally MQL, right? Like you're you're definitely opening our messages going to our website, but maybe not quite showing that hardcore buyer behavior. MQL. You've now crossed over the threshold. You're sales ready, we believe, because you've visited our pricing page or these types of things. So if your true north is to understand what are the actions that you can take to improve the conversion rates, you're you're in a good spot. If you're looking at these micro stages and you're like, I don't know how the heck I'm going to move people from proposal sent to proposal confirmed to, you know, maybe that's a bad example, but there's so many of these small stages that you get into the weeds and you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to control this. I couldn't prop up an A-B test to test this. Like you're in the weeds. So I would say with, with, for instance, the HubSpot universe right now, like the default settings in HubSpot kind of give you this. Um, but working in Marketo for many years as well, I, you know, it's easy to customize on this. The best life cycles always have just clear action points. 
Very cool. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, another variable on top of looking at like all these conversion rates, maybe you have like these standard stages is to look at like segments of your database and compare mm -hmm. conversion rates from like one segment to the other. So maybe, you know, your company is selling more than one product and you're mm -hmm. splitting up your database into mm -hmm. two, basically product one and product two, the conversion rates from uh, lead to MQL for product one are going to be different for product two. And mm -hmm. so like adding all these micro stages, if you've got these segmented versions of your database, which, you know, most companies should just adds another layer of like muddying these kind of like conversion rates that, that you're looking at across the funnel. For sure. And I mean, the truth, truth be told is like I've also seen quite quite often um, and quite effectively actually is having multiple life cycle models to account for that type of thing. Like if you have a, you know, a standard B2B SaaS product and then you have like a freemium product, well, you, an MQL from one to the other actually might be quite different. But what I'm what I'm this entire series is focused on is kind of that first life cycle, right? A single product or a simplistic version of your product. Uh, even if you did multiple versions of a life cycle or multiple models, still following this advice will get you to both paths. But there is there is an option for sure to go into multiple uh, life cycle models, but we won't go into that because that's definitely into the weeds. That's a yeah. that's a 2.0 of your life cycle, people. <laughs> okay, but let's uh, let's talk a bit about like the the customization area of this, like in, in the tools that you have. And so I know that, you know, I've worked a bit in Pardot and, and HubSpot and Marketo. You've like, you're super deep into HubSpot and Marketo. Marketo gives you this kind of like unlimited freedom. The revenue cycle model is really customizable. People can jump in and add fields or, or mm -hmm. attributes or whatever you want to call them. Like you define the revenue cycle model, basically the stages that you, that people go through your database. But HubSpot's a, a bit different. They have these kind of like default lifecycle stages. It's a bit more fixed. Um, you can still kind of like create your own custom stuff, but like the ones that come with the product are, are a bit more default and you can't like change the names of them. So like having worked in, in the two, which which of the two do you uh, kind of prefer starting off with? Yeah, uh, I'm going to preface this by saying I've worked in Marketo for seven years. I was a consultant <laughs> in Marketo. So like, uh, you know, I'm... I, I, I have nothing against Marketo, but I, I actually really prefer the HubSpot model. When I first went to the HubSpot model, there's some there's some technical things with the way the HubSpot implements it that I'm not a huge fan of, to be frank. Um, but overall, like looking at your pick list, it's so much simpler in HubSpot. I think it's far better for most marketers to follow that model, uh, get outgrow that model before you move into the customization. But again, like again, Marketo is very enterprise focused. I think HubSpot is very SMB focused. I think our podcast is probably speaks more to SMBs and startups than to the Marketo audience. So I think it's pretty fair to say I'm biased on this. Um, and then I'm biased towards the audience and what you guys are hearing right now. Um, but I, I want to say this too, like I'm not your mother. You can do whatever you want. You can create your own kind of parallel field. Like it's super straightforward in my opinion to, to create, spin up your own lifecycle property field in HubSpot with your own pick list and then move people along stages. You can do that in parallel to what HubSpot does. HubSpot does a lot of like auto tracking of things and stages, which I'm not a huge fan of. I do like the deliberate setup that comes with the Marketo implementation of needing your smart campaigns to move people along. Um, HubSpot does a little bit of that for you, like moving people to opportunity stage if, if it has a known opportunity, but um, those are all kind of technical details. I think as a mental exercise, it's better to lean more towards the HubSpot model, be constrained in your first approach as opposed to like reinventing the wheel. I think you'll end up with a better outcome. 
Yeah, I tend to agree. And like these these technical details, like even though like they they aren't maybe like super uh, important to to everyone listening here, but like the point we're trying to make is that like these these types of trivial details like are the types of things that like bog down like bigger projects like this. And this is where we get into like the the scope creep type of thing. Like we we talked a lot about the importance of like alignment in in like an endeavor like this. And I personally in in projects like this in my career, I've wrestled a lot with you know, what is the best vehicle to communicate to every, uh, all the stakeholders, like what is happening along the life cycle stages, Mm -hmm. not just like, what are the stages visually, but also like what happens in between each stage, what changes the status on, on like an automated basis? What are the manual steps in there? Um, like there's so many things to unpack in, in this like visual workflow chart here. Right. So like, mm-hmm. how, how do we prevent uh, mm-hmm. the type of scope creep in, in, in projects like this? And, and everyone starts like unpacking everything. Oh yeah. I mean, to me, behavior is King. I've said that before, like the whole content is King thing. I'm going to flip it to the behavior is King. And I like the kind of the points that you touch upon, right? Like you've got to communicate this somehow. So at some point people have to agree to it. And to a lot of folks in the organization, particularly those who aren't, you know, in ops land like we are, uh, they need to see some kind of common illustration. I'm a huge fan of tools like Lucidchart, Mural, or whatever you're using. Uh, PowerPoint can do it too, like in a hot in a hot minute, and and show your life cycle and and build it out. Show the transition points. Show the behavior points that you would expect both from your team and from from the contact that you're working with. Oh, you're an MQL. Does that change customer comps? Does that change your communications and your nurture streams? What do you expect salespeople to do at that time? Are they going to work on a contact status or a lead status property at this point? I think doing this gives people like an opportunity not to get bogged into the technical where they're not experts, right? Like they're not going to be experts on what lifecycle property fields you should use or what timestamps you should backfill or what lead statuses, but they are experts on the business process. So you've got to like kind of meet halfway on this. And that's where having flowcharts is so valuable. Like such a great skill set to have everywhere I've worked uh, has has done this. Lauren Sandburn is one of the people that I think of when I think of flowcharts. Like her and I got to work on a few and and they get epic and pretty awesome, I think. Um, but as one of your deliverables out of your project, by the way, I would say like your discovery stage is wrapped up when you've got everybody agreed uh, to a lifecycle model that is visualized in a flowchart tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, huge, huge fans of, uh, huge fan of the the flowcharts themselves as like a vehicle for for communicating, like not not just like a lifecycle project, but just like any complex marketing endeavor that you know has multiple pieces, and you're working with a sales team. Like your sales guys aren't going to jump into Marketo to like look in this program and see like, oh, what email is being sent at what time to this specific lead. Like there won't be any of that stuff. But you know, you could send a link to the Lucidchart or Miro, whatever tool you're using, and the sales team the salesperson can kind of like walk through it and see like, oh, okay, like this email gets sent off at this stage. It not only like reduces the amount of like questions that you might get from your sales team on like what's Mm -hmm. happening at what point, but you're also opening the door for feedback. And like, it's the best way to like allow folks to see what is happening from a marketing standpoint in terms of emails yeah. and touch points mm-hmm. and whatever. And when you have like your sales folks, like the the customer facing guys that like, coming in and seeing all the things that are happening behind the scenes, that's when you start to get like the really cool feedback. Like all, all yeah. the flowcharts that I've built in my career, like the, the best feedback I've gotten were from salespeople, like reading through it and understanding like the marketing standpoint and then mm-hmm. like them applying their sales sales language to it like 
this step here is completely unnecessary. Like everyone who like fills out the demo form request, like I want to talk to them, like yeah. every single yeah. one of them. I don't care if marketing says they're unqualified, like at least like call them MQLs. I want to have the chance to like accept them or not. Like those types of, of tidbits or, or whatever, or the things that you're kind of looking for with these, uh, these flow charts, I guess. Yeah. And I'll take it one step further. I love the points that you made there. I think that the next step, the bonus points uh, is doing this on the live call with people. I mean, I guess you could do it in a room if you if you, we ever go back to office life again but be on a call like uh, as a consultant i would do this often with with my clients i would open up lucidchart blank lucidchart doc and like let's go to work and all of a sudden you notice that people like we have this common frame of reference they built it with you uh, it's a fun exercise. I love being in, in Lucidchart. Personally, it's my tool of choice, but uh, I love being in, in there and watching people just kind of react to, oh yeah, that's what that looks like. Okay. And and this helps also anchor people's expertise, right? Like you're going to get this so often with Lifecycle that, you know, oh, sales is like gut reaction. Like this sucks. This, why would you do this to me? Like why would Mark, and we'll talk more about some of those, why would you do this to me moments in, in <laughs> our conclusion? But like, the the whole the whole point of the lucid chart or the flow chart is to provide people who aren't experts with an, a way to contribute to the technical aspects of the discussion that might just be too above their heads and you'll discover that people less react to things when you say we're going to implement a new process and they're like why would you do this to me versus we built this flow chart together and now you understand the logic behind it and they're like totally bought in yeah very cool i especially love it as like the concept of an mvp like for your your life cycle project right it's so important to give this kind of like unrivaled permission to to push something that necessarily like isn't at the like 100 percent ready stage yet but you know you're getting everyone kind of aligned as you said like i love the idea of doing this like a live call or maybe you're just even like pre-recording this or whatever um but it's this like force and function that you know gets something out the door yeah and when I think of MVPs, it's like the same thing as conversion rate testing. It's like immediate organization wide permission to do whatever the fuck you want to do. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, what is he doing? Like, why would he do that? It's like, don't worry. John's just conversion rate testing. I was like, oh, oh wow. he's, he's just such testing a, it. <laughs> such a smart guy. And an MVP, like, yeah, I got an MVP. And they're like, oh, yeah. Like, who cares that this thing is shit? Like, it's an MVP. <laughs> And I'm, I'm being totally flippant. Like you got to have a bare minimum of quality for your MVPs and your conversion rate tests. But the truth is, is that you do have a lot of wiggle room when you start to commit to, I'm, I'm not building 1.0 or I'm not just like building this and then walking away. Lifecycle is something that you got to build. It's like planting a tree. You got to water that thing. You got to prune it. You got to take care of it. So show the organization that you're going to commit to this with an initial MVP to get something out the door, get value, get your first set of reports but then show that you're also going to tweak and maintain this over time. So, and I would say that this is not a PhD dissertation. This is something that you need to get out into the market and deploy so you can move on to bigger and better things. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So episode number two was how to avoid and overthink implementing your life cycle. Uh, episode number three of our life cycle saga is diving into how to design a basic life cycle that actually works. So we went through like the what and the why, why you should do a life cycle, like the how, how it's like a long project. We dived into like the project management stages of this and how to avoid scope creep and use flow charts and how to not overthink it and all the micro stages. So let's talk about like actually building a basic life cycle and, and how that works. 